Welcome to Day Zero Update for October 25th, 2020. I'm your host, Chris Logi. I'm Brandon Perkins. And I'm Dan Red Victoria. And yeah, we've got a full slate of news here. Yes, we do. Nothing big as far as like next gen stuff. Uh, Seems like a quiet week for Sony and Microsoft. Yeah. On that front, but uh, otherwise, I believe this week I should be getting my accessories by Friday or Saturday, somewhere around there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Supposed to be shipping around the 30th. Yeah. We're also very likely to see PS5 news this week because uh, journalists and stuff got their uh, their models on Friday, so uh, mm-hmm. the embargo is yeah. steadily lift. I was looking at, I think the Ars Technica just took a bunch of pictures of the box and all that stuff, mm-hmm. uh, which confirms that you can just plug in the PS4 external hard drive into the PS5 mm-hmm. and sort of keep your games you have installed there uh, for use on the PS5. Mm-hmm. At least that's the way it's phrased. Um, but yeah, that was like the main thing I saw there. And just looking at the box for the accessory stuff, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. So, yeah. Hopefully so. That would save me a lot of time. Yeah. Um, yep. Should be getting that stuff this weekend, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least the stuff I ordered from Sony Direct, because theirs is one-day shipping. Mm-hmm. The, the controller in Walmart uh, could go either way, but also it's... I'm paying like 22 bucks for that, so it's not a big deal how long it takes to get to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a whole weird thing. Um, because uh, I figured out, so if you know BrickSeeker, which is like a site that tracks inventory for a number of retailers, mm-hmm. like Target, Walmart, Best Buy, and some yeah. other places, uh, I figured out that the reason that my controller got price dropped down to, I think, $41 and then down to $22. Mm-hmm. just a random store somewhere that has it priced uh, at that just by never having it in stock. Yeah. So, hopefully they don't catch it in the next few days. Because mm-hmm. uh, once they charge it, um, do whatever you want. Yep. <laughs> so I'll get my controller and I'll pay like a third of the price. Mm-hmm. And that uh, makes up for the egregious shipping that Amazon's doing. Mm. Charging for that thing. Uh, but yeah, that is going to be uh, fun. But uh, before we get to the news here, uh, we've got some games to talk about, what we've been playing. And yep. I'll start here. I've uh, been playing more uh, Rocket League. They have their Halloween event going on. I forget what it's called. But it is Ghostbusters themed uh, with mm-hmm. a number of items uh, themed around that. Uh, I just finished the last quest, uh, the last two quests, I guess. Uh, one was uh, getting a certain amount of assists in games, and another one was for saves, and managed to get those tied up in one game, so mm-hmm. uh, that was fun. Uh, so I'm not doing super great, not back at Platinum tier, but uh, hopefully getting around the corner of the, the bad luck I had for like, a couple of weeks there. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I jumped back into Ghost of Tsushima uh, for a bit. Didn't play too much. Uh, went to the Komatsu Forge and did the like missions surrounding that. That's basically have you defending it from the uh, the Mongolians who are just <laughs> swarming all over the place. Yep. And the one thing I do hate about the missions like that, where you're just fighting a bunch of dudes, is that they uh, don't give you time to clean up. 
and get all the the stuff they drop. Yeah. Uh, they oftentimes push you into a cutscene and then you get back and it's all wiped clean. Like, well, that's that's fucking stupid. It gives me no reason to like complete it quickly. I should just like push off the last guy and just go like, oh, I gotta clean up here, get the the supplies or whatever. But usually, it's nothing really too big of a deal. It's just kind of a minor annoyance. Um, but yeah, that game's still fun. Uh, they have the armor sets now, so you can have different loadouts. So you're like, oh, here's my you know, stealthy set. Here's my offensive set kind yeah. of thing that you can do. So you don't have to... If you're like trying to really min-max uh, pretty hard, you, could, you would just be constantly swapping out stuff for the situation you're in. But now they made that a lot easier. Yeah. Obviously, I had the Legends mode. I haven't gotten around to checking that out yet. But uh, they did make some mention of uh, it in the, the campaign. So... Uh, I'm curious to check that out at some points. Mm-hmm. Uh, also been playing some Fallout 76, but on PC, so I had to start over for my Xbox save because it's not cross-save uh, or anything like that mm. there. Um, yeah, that the game, along with a few others, sort of highlights the issue with uh, the PC, Xbox, Game Pass app, mm-hmm. uh, where there's a number of games where when they get updates, it's not just like, oh, here's like a you know, two gig update or, you know, 50 meg update or whatever. It requires you to download essentially the whole game over again. Just presents you an update that is absurdly huge. Uh, at the same size as the game uh, itself. And that's just something that really shouldn't be happening unless you're just fucking up big time. Mm-hmm. And it's happening across a number of uh, developers. Conveniently, all of them are now owned by uh, Microsoft. Uh, was yeah. Outer Worlds and Fallout 76 are the main ones I've seen. Mm-hmm. But also like Halo Master Chief Collection does it. Uh, some stuff like that where it just uh, wants you to download the whole thing over again. It's like, you guys are really testing my patience. And yeah. <laughs> doing a lot of the same stuff that was the reason why it, towards the end of me using uh, Xbox Game Pass on the console, I just didn't want to bother with the big file size games. So it was mm-hmm. too annoying to manage that stuff. Uh, at least here on PC, I have plenty of space. It's just my patience for waiting for the downloads. Yeah. Uh, especially when it's like, oh, I actually want to play this thing and then find out, oh, that update that happened last week broke it. Uh, and then I have to wait, you know, till the next day to actually play it. Uh, but yeah, uh, also conveniently, I also dipped in a little bit to Goner 2, which is out. Uh, played a little bit of that on. Uh, PC Game Pass, mm-hmm. uh, which seems neat, but it's still like very early stuff, so I'm not sure like what is all different. Yeah. Uh, other than some new environments, there's ones like a water environment, so I was shooting fish and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Uh, but once you get hit, it gets really easy to just freak out and uh, kill yourself. Because uh, when you're hit, your just body loses all the parts that you added onto it, and that's uh, that's where you're most vulnerable, and you just outright die. Uh, and I did that like two times in a row. I just ended yeah. a run like that. But yeah, that seems fun. I dipped in a little bit to Forza Motorsport 7. Because that is on, well, that's on Game Pass, but I already owned it. Just finally got around to starting it. Yeah. And yeah, I had to remind myself, oh yeah, that had this stupid mod system in it. Right. Uh, it has these weird cards that like, throws a little bit of a wrench into it to challenge you. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, maybe you don't have, you know, ABS on this next couple of races. 
<laughs> or you only have like your braking line instead of your full uh, driving line, that kind of stuff. Or just like, hey, get like two good passes during this race, or uh, uh, do a good turn. They rate how you do turns, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can get kind of uh, annoying, especially when you're more concerned doing that than actually finishing the race uh, at times. Uh, it kind of feels like the game just makes the, the race results uh, less important than just completing whatever these stupid little cards ask you to do. Mm-hmm. Which is maybe not the best way to design a racing game like this. Uh, but yeah, that stuff's okay. Um, I was playing a game called Mr. Mine on uh, Steam. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's from the same publisher as the Clicker Heroes games. Uh, mm. So it is... And it's also referencing in the the description cookie clicker. Mm-hmm. Like that kind of stuff. Uh, and I definitely see what that is. It's not really a clicker. Cause you're not clicking on anything to uh, increase like the rate that you're getting stuff. Uh, mm. You're more... You know, like in Cookie Clicker, like once you're done clicking the cookie and it's doing it automatically, uh, you're just basically upgrading these like uh, various groups that are making the cookies. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that, except you're in this mine and like every kilometer is uh, a line of miners you have in the game. Mm. Uh, and early on, you're extending it out to full 10 miners. So you're maximizing how much you're getting out of each row. Mm. And uh, beyond that, you are using that uh, money to uh, uh, upgrade their efficiency, but also you're upgrading, you're buying uh, blueprints that uh, you have a ship that's constantly mining down so to open up new layers for you. Mm -hmm. And that takes uh, a good bit amount of time, so you're kind of uh, buying these blueprints that requires... Uh, a number of the elements, the materials you're gathering out of there. So uh, I think stuff like coal, copper, silver, gold, platinum, diamond, coltan, mm-hmm. painites, black opal, red diamond, obsidian are what I have unlocked right now. And there's a couple of uh, isotopes as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, uranium, plutonium, and polonium. Uh, and that stuff I can just go through and just sell it all. Uh, and that's how you get your money. Uh, mm-hmm. As well as like occasionally your miners on a level will find a like treasure chest, you click it and it'll either maybe advance time a bit, thus getting you more materials. Uh, it's usually like anywhere from like five to nine minutes. Usually yeah. it's not too much. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, a lot of time you're spent uh, uh, now at the point where I'm at uh, a few days in, just kind of waiting for uh, the capacity I have to collect these materials to get high enough so I can sell them to put a dent into how much money I have, which mm-hmm. then I use to uh, buy new blueprints. Now I'm at a point where blueprints are even further off. So about the, all the, the ones at the range that I can get. Now I'm basically like, oh, I got to upgrade my efficiency and my vehicle, you know, it takes like a few hours to get to the next uh, uh, kilometer depth thing, whatever. And so... Yeah, it's kind of gone from very fast because your uh, max capacity is pretty small early on. Yeah. Uh, and, and so the point about it, it's gotten over the hump or that's an issue. Mm-hmm. But there's not really too much of an idle aspect to the game. 
Uh, so you feel compelled to leave the game on all the time. Because hmm. uh, the only thing that advances, I think, are just the... So you get to a point where you get scientists that do these missions that can get you relics or special bonuses and whatnot. Um, and those are idle. Those just go from whatever time you actually start them to whenever it ends. And if you get the the time advancements, that t- takes that down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those can die, and then you have to get them back from treasure chests. And that seems pretty rare. I got two early on and never got the a third one to fill it out. And then I had one die because uh, the missions will get like a death chance. And yeah. I've been usually taking the easy ones because like, I don't want them to die because now I've seen one die. I have mm-hmm. not been able to get a replacement <laughs> or even a third. Yeah. Uh, it's like I don't want to take any chances because these guys, like I have these are right now speed potions that increases the, the speed. They yeah. have 10 of those, so they're 50% faster than they were before. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of just now wasting time. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of... And from what I've heard, it's going to get weird like Cookie Clicker does. Uh, I don't know if it's going to get as weird as Cookie Clicker does, mm-hmm. where that goes into like other dimensions and all this weird kind of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but they at least mention that, like, yeah, there's going to be some weird shit in, like the the background of the mine uh, early on, and just see like rocks uh, of different colors, and now yeah. it's uh, bones. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, where does this go? And I've seen mention of some uh, some of these uh, science quests of like other potential areas to break into, but the death chance was higher than I wanted. So yeah, kind of just sitting here like trying to see where I get over this next hump. Mm-hmm. And see if see where that goes, because uh, yeah, right now, kind of in a, a standstill of sorts. Just like I'll ah, just leave it on, and then I'll come back later mm-hmm. when it's uh, when I hit my capacity, and then uh, maybe come back and f- you know fix that, and then maybe come back later after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, like a weird point. Uh, yeah, it's still early access. It's not technically early access, I think, but it's they call it version like 0.06. Mm. So it's not like officially done, but they're still giving out achievements and all that. You can buy uh currency for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like the, you're buying like tickets to buy these treasure chests that I'm just finding free, mm. uh, that kind of thing. But you can also get some of those tickets in the uh, science quest. So there are ways to get that stuff. And I feel like no reason to spend the money on any tickets. That's just a stupid part of the game. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's Mr. Mine, and that's mm-hmm. uh, been pretty much it. All right. How about you, Brandon? Uh, yeah, so I am literally on the last boss for Trails in the Sky second chapter. Um, like I said last week, you know, since uh, Cold Steel 4 comes out and on Tuesday, I wanted to, and I had the time to do it, I decided to finally finish up that game, and... Um, yeah, uh, the last guy you got to fight is low, and he is extremely uh, strong and difficult to kill. <laughs> um, let me put it this way. The first attack he's going to do is always going to be an S attack, which is like the big, you know, extremely powerful attacks that can basically take out a bunch of characters very quickly. If you're... Yeah, it's the alt, and it will straight up 
murder the lot of you if you are not properly, you know, prepared for it. Um, he also has these two enormous uh, lion robots that are fighting with him that are, like, basically the strongest mooks you can come in contact with in the game. And on top of all that, he also has a mirror ability where he can make perfect copies of himself that all have the exact same health bar and attacks that he does. So, yeah. There's that. Um, so, yeah, it, it's it's hard as shit. I will finish him eventually, but gonna take a... Uh, basically, what I've had to do is I'm going back and I'm having to grind a little bit so I can hopefully get up to his level. Um, but, uh, yeah, so... Other than that, I decided to uh, sort of take a take a trip outside of my usual gaming comfort zone, um, and I've been playing uh, Kaiserreich. Which, um, uh, Chris, I know you don't know. De- Danareb, do you know what Kaiserreich is? I do not know. Okay, uh, are you familiar with Hearts of Iron? Yes. Like, okay, yeah. Uh, basically, Kaiserreich originally started off as like a mod to I think it was Hearts of Iron Four. And then it just sort of took off and became its own thing. Um, basically, it takes place between... Uh, it, it, the whole idea behind it is that it's a sort of alternate scenario wherein uh, in World War One, if you remember in World War One, you had two specific groups. There was the Allies, which was, you know, Great Britain, France, all their territories... Uh, Russia and the United States, which, you know, they would peek in later. Japan was also part of that as well. Um, And then you had what were called the Central Powers, and that was uh, the German Empire, Austro-Hungary, Italy, all these, you know, that that particular group. And, of course, in our timeline, the Central Powers won. And, I mean, not in our – they lost. They lost. The Central Powers lost, which ultimately made World War I basically nothing more than a giant – wasteless orgy of blood and treasure that did nothing more than set the stage for the even bloodier war that would come after it. Well, in Kaiserreich, what ends up happening is that the Central Powers actually win, and it basically changes the entire geopolitical landscape. So uh, the United States ends up going into a civil war. Uh, the, The Bolshevik Revolution in Russia ends up failing. Um, so the czar, the the czarist uh, regime is intact and even more repressive than it pre- previously was. Uh, Vladimir Lenin was assassinated by Fela Kaplan, who was the woman who, in real life, actually did try to kill him. Um, but uh, socialism still manages to become a big thing. But instead of the sort of Soviet communism version, instead it's syndicalism, and instead of rising in uh, Russia, it ends up rising in Great Britain and France. And basically, Hearts of Iron, much Kaiserite, much like Hearts of Iron, it's one of those grand strategy games. So it's not just warfare that you have to deal with. You also have to deal with like resources and the economy. Um, and basically, this is the long way of saying that I absolutely fucking suck at this game. <laughs> um, but... You know, I understand now why people are so hardcore about it, because it's actually, yeah, it's it's an interesting scenario, and the way that history sort of unfolds in this timeline is absolutely fascinating to watch. 
Um, especially since like there's certain alternate history tropes that keep coming up again and again, like for some reason, and just, and I don't know why this is the case because this is the case with so many of the alternate history fiction I've come in contact with. Douglas MacArthur ends up leading a military coup and becoming a dictator. I don't know why that always seems to happen, but for some reason in these alternate timelines, MacArthur always ends up becoming the dictator. Um, but, you know, that basically leads to the U.S. descending into civil war and what have you. But, yeah, um, so, yeah, that's uh, basically what I've been playing, you know, in between the moments when I've been trying to imagine and plan out Dan Reb's painful death for somehow managing to get in contact with Trails of Cold Steel 4 before I did, you bastard. So, yeah, that's uh, what I've been playing for the last few weeks, and I couldn't talk about it until Friday when the embargo yeah. lifted. Um, I've been I told it's actually access, really good. <laughs> I had access to the game um, at the end of the month, uh, September, and um, it was really late. Um, we normally, or at least with with, with previous uh, workings with Nisa, we normally get them like at least a month out. So uh-huh. like I, I pretty much had a month, but I also knew that Cold Steel Four would be long. So before I started it, um, I knew that I had like 22 days to review it, and then I, I looked at um how long to beat dot com, and apparently like people beat four faster than three, two, and one. And um, I was like, okay, cool, this will be fine. Um, I was wrong. Like if I wasn't, <laughs> if, if, if we weren't during COVID and I was not working from home, I was not gonna beat this on time. Um, yeah. my final count is 126 hours to beat this game. Boy. Yeah. Um that is longer than Persona 5, which also clocked me in at around 122. So yeah. um yeah, it's been a hell of a year for RPGs and Trails of Coast Till 4 definitely um hits where it has to. The main yeah. thing though, um, you know, but uh, whether it's Pat, whether it's Brandon, whether it's myself, we will do whatever we can to sell you this series. But the uh-huh. fact of the matter the fact of the matter is it's extremely unapproachable if you're not willing to like, you know, um, get a PC or get a Vita because like, um, as I said in my review, like this game is pretty much what Avengers Endgame is to the MCU. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and yeah. So um, the, the game that Brandon just finished playing and shows in the sky, the second, like the main character in, in that game um, makes her way to Trails of Coast Steel 4. Um, there are mm-hmm. two games that we didn't get. Um, Trails of Azure and uh, Trails to Zero uh, that we didn't get because of like localization issues and we, we didn't know if it would be popular. And, like, one of the main reasons why I continue to buy these games is, is in the hopes of that game or those games arriving here someday. And uh, yeah, those are actually looked at as some, some of the pinnacle games in the series and those main characters find their way here too. So um, there is a chance that you, know, you will be a little bit confused going into the story if you didn't play those games. Um, fortunately, I pretty much knew a gist of how they worked out and, you know, it, 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 def- it definitely helped me here. So yeah, if, if you've never gotten in, into trails before, there's, there is, uh, not much of a chance for you to like Cold Steel 4, no matter how good the core loop is. Um, if I were to compare this game to another game in the series, it would probably be Trails of Cold Steel 2, because those of you that played part three know that, um, you know, Ring's a teacher, so you're still going to do a bunch of school stuff. Mm-hmm. And then in part four, he gets captured, so and you're going you're gonna to be looking for him, so you're going to be doing a lot of out-of-school stuff. So yeah. you're pretty much wanted for the entire game, and you can't really show yourself anywhere unless, like, you know, um, you go when there's no, not a whole bunch of security. But, um, yeah, so... One of the reasons why, or the reason why the game is, uh, or the, the series is so popular as it is, is because of its world building. 
Mm-hmm. Um, each series takes place on a different continent, and this one is the last of the. Uh, oh, no, they all take place on the same continent, in a different country. Yeah, they do, yeah it's, uh, different countries on the same continent and con- con- continent. Sorry, and this one is the last one in the in the area boy in the Arabonian Empire, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, there is just a lot to do and you have a lot of characters to pretty much uh choose from and um normally that would be a problem but um it didn't really end up being so because pretty much uh every character you have levels up uh, at, at the same rate no matter who you who you use or who you don't use and that really helps out a lot and um things like that so yeah um if you if you're not into the series you know you you, you probably had no idea what i was talking about but if you are like this, pretty much uh, hits the hits the nail on the head or wherever it needs to. So the the, the story is solid. Uh, the writing is fine. Um, there are some complaints about the voice acting because a a, a bunch of uh, people didn't come back, namely the voice actors for Gilead Osborne, uh, Laura, and McBurn. Um, so um, I've seen a lot of complaints about them being different. But when I was playing, like I didn't really notice that at all. My main complaint with the voices is my same complaint with the voices for every game in the series. Like, which is um, that it's not fully voiced. Not everything is fully voiced, which is like, honestly, there is no excuse um, aside from COVID because you look at Fire Emblem on both DS and the Switch and every single line is voiced in those games and those games are nowhere near as demanding as um, Trails is and, and things like that. So, like, you know, you, you compare it to a Persona, you compare it to a Final Fantasy, like, the, the production cost of a Trails game is nowhere near those two, and, mm-hmm. like, the, the production just falters as a result, and that's part of why, like, you know, it won't really go uh, mainstream. But, you know, for, for those, of you, those of you who are into it, Falcom is just in a masterclass of uh, RPGs, and, again, I totally recommend uh, getting into that series somehow. Most of the uh, series is, is accessible through PC, uh, via Steam. Um, the thing is, every single one of those RPGs is 60 hours long, at least. And again, with Trails of Cold Steel 4, you're looking at at least 120 hours of uh, gameplay. Yeah. And with this one, I got like 78% of the trophies. Uh, the ones I didn't I didn't get were the um, the ones for beating it on Nightmare Mode and uh, things like that. Um, if you do have save files from 1, 2, and 3, uh, there is some extra content you can get with 4. Um, not a whole lot of story beats make their way in, but a whole lot of... Um, items that'll help you in the first part are definitely there um so uh, as for really like actual gameplay changes there really aren't much the main thing though is that uh the enemies were kind of beefed up a little bit um it's harder to break them because in um treasure cold steel one two and three as long as you had your um cp filled up it was really easy to beat certain bosses without them even doing anything because you have the option of using those attacks right away um, now they're harder to break, and um, some of the items that actually really help you out, um, such as the, the gladiator belts and whatnot to make your CP up, go up faster, um, aren't obtainable until much later in game. So honestly, um, it's it's harder at first, and it gets easier as you go through. So yeah. uh, th- th- those will be the main things to look out for. Like um, when I first started playing, Kurt always died because for some reason the enemies would always want to zero in on him. I'm like, am I equipping something that, that makes everyone, everyone go at him? No, they're actually just a little bit smarter and they're harder to beat as a result. But, you know, as long as you know your way around turn-based RPGs, it shouldn't be that much of a problem. And then as for side quests, um, you have a lot of required ones and you have a lot of ones that are there. And as usual, you also have a lot of hidden ones. And that's part of trails. Like, you really got to go out and uh, talk to anybody as much as you can because... You know, a lot of them say different things, even when you, when you talk to them three times. And, like, 
that's just the amount of writing that, that, that that's gone into it like um sure. i i do not envy the localization team one bit because they they they, they really work hard as for like you know making sure everyone has their character everyone, everyone has their voices and whatnot and uh yeah. you know everyone gives the last of us part two credit for like naming all the bad guys almost every npc in, in Shadows of cold steel 4 is named too so like it's not like uh did anything original there um but yeah as far as fan service um if, if, if you've played the rest of the series almost every um Loose end is pretty much tied up here. There is still some a little bit left, namely with namely with Ouroboros, because their plans are always different from everybody else. And of course, um mm-hmm. those of you who are into the series know that um Trails from the Beginning uh, was actually already released in Japan uh late last year. So um uh-huh. there, there there's plenty to look forward to there. Um don't watch any of those trailers if you don't want to get the uh, story spoiled here as usual. And um yeah, because yeah. the Coastal Four is fantastic. And uh Brandon, I think you're really gonna like it. Um, oh yeah. yeah. Aside from that, uh, more Animal Crossing, and I've also started Genshin Impact. But I, I didn't play much to make a, to make an opinion. Like, I definitely do see the similarities to games like um, Breath of the Wild and Tales of Symphonia. But I only, I only played for around thirty five minutes. So as far as like really having an opinion of, of like how it really plays, uh, there hasn't been much of it yet. I haven't really seen a microtransaction problem yet, so that's fun there. But you know, after after I played the long epic RPG I just played, I just want to take a bit of a rest. And yeah. uh, I've been doing that. I, I got to give my wallet a bit of a rest because I actually just finished um, paying off uh, my credit card debt since college. Mm-hmm. It's like over $20,000 that I spent like really badly. And uh, that's the main game I've been playing. And aside from that, it's an Animal Crossing thing. So it's pretty much right. it. My, uh, my review of Trails is, is, is up on the website. Check it out. All right. All right. So, yeah, let's get to the news here. Uh, first up. Uh, Nintendo did something uh, a bit surprising here. They announced they're localizing a game that uh, was released 30 years ago in Japan. Uh, it is Fire Emblem, Shatter, Shadow Dragon, and the Blade of Light, the original on the Famicom. Yep. Uh, it is available for pre-order now for $5.99. Yep. Uh, it'll be out uh, December 4th. And it's only available for a limited time. Don't even... I don't think I've seen... Any information on when that is? Yeah. I assume it's March 31st. It's going to be like March. Yeah. It's, it's March 31st. Same as Mario and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I'm definitely getting this for Christmas. Uh, the physical release, that is. Yeah, there's a $50 like special edition that mm-hmm. uh, seems pretty nice for what it has. Uh, yeah. has a, like a physical NES-style box for mm-hmm. it. Uh Replica NES game pack, art piece, protective sleeve. Uh, let's see, a 222-page Legacy of Arcania Deluxe Card Bound Art Book. Mm-hmm. And a game download code. I have a NES-style instruction manual, newly localized, and a fold-out world map and mini Nintendo Power Retro collectible. Yep. And that's 50 bucks, and I assume the pre-orders are all sold out. Yeah, the peers are already they, they already showed up on GameStop and Best Buy, and they sold out in no time. My main thing that is, though, I'm a huge fan of Fire Emblem. I, I own a whole lot of the uh, limited editions. Uh, this one, um, I didn't really try because the physical limited edition does not come with a physical version of the game. It's just a code. Yeah, I don't I understand why Nintendo just went ahead with that decision. I mean, like, 
yeah, uh, they, they they sold out, so you know Nintendo's gonna gonna go ahead and sell it anyway. But it's that that's pretty disappointing. Um, also, uh, this game was already made on DS, wasn't it? Uh, remade, and yeah, I think. Well, I think the the big difference is there. Well, first of all, you got the original graphics. They're gonna redo like all the. They're localizing all the the dialogue. They're adding like Ooh. some uh, rewinding and you know uh, <clears throat> features so that you know the game isn't as unbelievably difficult as it did because you know it's Famicom old school Nintendo yeah. game and it's old school Nintendo hard. Uh, I understand the charm of playing the game in its original form, minus the Japanese, of course, but. Obviously, like I mean, like I said, it was already remade on DS as Shadow Dragon, which was which was also a good game in its own right, and the game is also hard to find now. So I don't understand why that game just wasn't ported. Um, again, I, I understand um, I understand playing it in its, in its original format, and it's only six bucks, so that's great. But I really wish they could have at least, um, well, one, either make the uh, limited edition physical, or two, like you know, actually port the good version of the game. But oh well. Yeah, it'll be interesting uh-huh. to see uh, how this is received mm-hmm. as far as like an NES uh, game compared yeah. to something that's a bit more modern uh, to that because I assume they're not changing any mechanics or anything like that. No, they're basically, it's basically just the game, but the game as it was originally released, they're just, you know, the they translated the dialogue and it's, they've added like, you know, again, rewind and do over features. So yeah, re- uh, yeah, rewind, fast forward, and save states. Yeah, so like the same stuff you get in uh, the NSO apps. Yeah, for the most part, which is like, okay, why is it not in there? Even put the Japanese version in there, I guess, if you want. Yeah. but uh, also, also, uh, unlike you know the recent Fire Emblem releases, there is no ability to turn off permadeath. So yeah. Um, I am, yeah, because like people were talking about like uh, there's not really any more games to add to those apps. Not really, uh, at least as far as Nintendo's concerned. It's like, well, there's the Earthbound Zero on NES mm-hmm. that they localized for the Wii U. Yeah, the beginning in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that could do uh with a release over here. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of stuff like the. Uh, like the, I saw the Wii U Virtual Console for GBA and DS stuff had some of those games on it, the mm-hmm. Advanced Wars and Fire Emblem stuff, uh, which is like, mm-hmm. you know, it'd be nice, a collection for those, uh, like a collection of the Fire Emblem GBA and DS games and the same for Advanced Wars. Uh, I think those would do very well and not require mm-hmm. too much of a change. Uh you could just put the screen side by side for the most part uh, mm-hmm. for that stuff. Uh, I think there's a lot more they can do with that stuff, especially if they're just messing with ROMs yeah. uh, of their games, uh, which I've seen people joke that's like mostly what Nintendo can do right now with coronavirus going on. Because uh, there's the, uh, the Mario collection is all basically just the those old games, not really touched up too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're doing this. There's... Uh, I forget what else they got to. Yeah, uh, well, yeah no, it's like stuff like that. December is actually pretty stacked for like retro re-released RPGs. I mean, aside from what we have with Fire Emblem here, 
Uh, Square Enix is also coming out with a collection of Saga uh, on Switch, which includes a lot of the uh, Game Boy Final Fantasy Legend games, um, which were actually all Saga yeah. games, but they were they were renamed. So um, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff. And then as for like N- Nintendo possibly making a Fire Emblem anthology, like you know, um, I don't want to hold my breath, but you know, um, if if anybody saw the trailer uh, introducing this game, um, yeah. It, it it pretty much just showed uh, a kid playing Smash Melee with uh, Martha and Roy there, not knowing who they are. And yeah, then, like the, the brother. Which is basically the reason why that game, why Fire Emblem, eventually became a thing over here in the first place. Yeah, like it was tastefully made, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I'm I'm wondering if this will also lead to a re-release of Path of Radiance and Radiant Dawn, where the games where Ike came from. Yeah. Like, because Ike is one of the most popular Smash characters as well, and like those games were also great. Uh, granted, Radiant Dawn was a little on the downside because that game was actually super duper hard. Oh uh, yeah, but Path of Radiance was also a really great game. So um, I yeah. don't see why Nintendo doesn't doesn't go ahead and um, re-release that sometime soon because like um, yeah, those games are hard to find now. So yeah, I hope they uh, eventually they'll move on to like Genealogy of the Holy War because that's the one everybody really wants to be able to play. Are you talking about Sealed Sword? Yeah. Yeah, the one with Roy. Everyone's looking forward to that, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so... There's a lot Nintendo can do as far as, like, bringing back their old games. Uh, and I think those uh, GBA and DS games uh, for a number of their series are very fertile ground mm-hmm. uh, to bring over. I don't want uh, the, the listeners to think that we're complaining because, you know, Fire Emblem is pretty much an annualized franchise now and I'd rather see something else. But, you know, as far as like going back into the um, back into the archives to see, you know, what hasn't come out here, it would be a good well to drink from. Yeah. Yep. It'll be interesting to see what people think of a Fire Emblem that is not about waifus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, here's here's before they uh, made relationships a part of the game. Yeah. Uh, that kind of stuff. But yeah, that is uh that is a good Nintendo bit. Uh here next. Uh Nintendo's finally decided that they will deem us worthy of having individual Joy-Cons on sale. <laughs> uh they're selling a neon blue left one for thirty nine ninety nine and a neon red right one for uh thirty nine ninety nine as well. Just ten bucks cheaper than the pair usually is, I think. Or maybe it's about the same price. Uh, I never I thought think about it's 90. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's 90. Yeah. Um, this one says 80 bucks, but I don't know. I never thought about buying more joy cons. So like, these are barely useful controllers, uh, individually at least. Uh, I mean, uh, I have considering all the, all the joy, all the, um, joy con drift problems. Um, and the reason yeah. why I haven't is because I don't need the right one. So if I can buy just the left one, you know, uh, 40 is better than 50, so... Yeah, yeah, that makes sense, but I'm, like, a pro controller-only mm-hmm. person, like, not bothering with the, the Joy-Cons, because use them as just controller on their own, they're just too small mm-hmm. uh, and fiddly, yeah. uh, and mm-hmm. like, using the, the little holder thing they give you with the Switch to put them together just is also too just not great mm-hmm. of a solution. It's, like, either plate in handheld mode or with a pro controller for my end. Of things, well, but I mean, hey, if you're playing it in handheld mode, you'll still need a Joy-Con. Yeah, but they're already on there. I don't need to buy yeah, extras. They'll still suffer from from drift, whether or not they're on there or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't had that yet. 
uh, at this point, which is uh, lucky or whatever. I don't know. I mean, doesn't. <laughs> but yeah, this uh, this is good news for people that uh, want them or want colors. That's the thing. I don't think they've necessarily done too much with it as far as just offering colors outside of the pairs. Mm-hmm. They're always uh, differently colored for the most part. Yeah. Which is why I got the the gray ones because like it's just the same damn color. I don't need to worry about matching or any of this yeah. shit. Yep. Uh, but that'll be starting on November 9th. and I'm sure those won't sell out quickly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. People that need to like replace one. them. I'm just wondering if, 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 if it's like you said, if, if they come out in various colors for whatever side they need. I know that most people will definitely want the left ones because that, that's the one where you actually you know, use your direction movement. Yeah, um, but it's yeah, not like, the, the weird thing where like the if you're using them just as a controller themselves, it's not doesn't have the analog stick in the middle of the controller like the the right one does. Yeah, and then uh, Joy-Con color customization is pretty much big in Japan, and there's, there's pretty much a, a whole cult on that. So. It'll be interesting to see, um, but yeah, like 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 you said, they'll, they'll they'll pretty much sell out right away. Come and come this Christmas, so yeah. Uh, but yeah, that is uh, that's the other kind of unfortunate news, I guess, in terms yeah. of them f- taking so long, almost three years to, or three and a half years to deem this a thing that people should have over here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's get to something that is uh really bad news for Switch people. Uh, Apex Legends is finally coming to Steam on, uh, what is it, November 4th? Mm-hmm. Uh, Switch version, uh, pushed to 2021. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, people on Switch that wanted to play that game are going to have to wait uh, for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it looks like uh, if you've been playing on Origin, want to move over to Steam, your stuff will move over. Uh, all your unlocks and progression and all that. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, I think their cross-play stuff is also uh, currently in beta. I think that should be launching with this new season that they're starting here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that'll be on November 4th. So people on Xbox, PlayStation, and PC will be able to play together, and Switch people will have to just wait. Mm-hmm. Uh, or get on PC or something. Uh, so that's the the bad news there. Let's... Uh, 2021 is not far away. Yeah. Uh... Let's talk about something that is happening here, uh, not anytime soon, but Darkest Dungeon 2. Yeah. Uh, is finally seeing the light of day, mm-hmm. uh, coming sometime in 2021 as an Epic Game Store exclusive mm-hmm. in early access. Uh, the game that uh, is one of the most depressing around. Mm-hmm. Uh, such a good roguelike at making you hate that you like the game and want to keep mm-hmm. playing it. Uh, so they're doing yeah. a sequel now. It mm-hmm. seems like it's got 3D uh, visuals in it now. Uh, from what the trailer shows, uh, they just put out a trailer that uh, shows us a lot of characters from the first game. Uh, the same kind of art style, uh, just in 3D. And I assume they got more terrible stuff planned for people uh, this time around. But uh, yeah, that'll be on Epic Game Store. At some point, but it'll be out on Steam, I believe, by the time it is out of early access. Mm-hmm. Which is like what a lot of games have been doing. Uh, and I assume it'll be on consoles as well at some point. Uh, like the first game. Yeah, that'll be uh, exciting to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the, the weird masochistic side of the, the roguelike genre. Mm-hmm. 
And let's see. Okay, Ubisoft doing something good for once. Uh, they are taking these two weird systems. They've had these two like things called uh, Ubisoft uh, Play and Ubisoft, or no, U Play and Ubisoft Club, uh, combining them into Ubisoft Connect, mm-hmm. uh, starting on the 29th here. In a few days, coinciding with the launch of Watch Dogs Legion. And along with that means there's going to be cross-platform progression for the games that support this new mm-hmm. uh, Ubisoft Connect platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's also what they're renaming their PC client to, uh, which is just called Uplay right now. But yeah, if you play mm-hmm. Ubisoft games, you notice in their uh, menus, you see the main menus, there's like these uh, Uplay or Ubisoft Connect uh uh, Ubisoft Club thing in there that's like this extra mm-hmm. set of achievements and such you can get to earn Uplay points that you can then use to get uh, in-game items or uh, some out-of-game out stuff for your PC. Usually some uh, wallpapers or uh, music stuff from the games, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're finally kind of unifying all of this weird stuff together and making a uh, really cross-platform system for cross-platform for progression for their upcoming games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Watch Dogs Legion, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Immortals: Phoenix Rising, and Rider Republic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's good. Yeah. Uh, the main issue really is that uh, not every game they have is going to be upgraded for this, uh, which makes sense because there's they've been doing this stuff for almost like. 12, 13 years at this point. Uh, since maybe like Assassin's Creed 2, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they announced like the games that uh, do not have direct uh, Ubisoft Connect support will essentially uh, be unlocking all of their rewards. You have to start up the game uh, and you will get them all. They will be free. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so that's just the challenges will be disabled, not be visible in Ubisoft Connect. Uh, but you'll still be able to see the stats and leaderboards, and they got a list of here of uh, not every game that has it, but uh, you know that the games that are older than these ones uh, do not support it as well. So they mentioned, like, just saying it's 2018, 2019, and uh, 2020 are not going to be getting the updates, so... You, configure you know 2017 and any of those other older ones mm-hmm. uh, sort of thing won't have it you know there's Far Cry 4 5 and Primal the list here Child of Light Assassin's Creed's from Origins back so Odyssey will be supported on this uh, which should be good mm-hmm. let's see Wildlands Ghost Recon Wildlands won't be supporting this uh, let's see Monopoly Plus Rocksmith 2014 mm-hmm. South Park Games Starlink Tetris Ultimate both crews, the Division One, mm-hmm. uh, looks like the Division Two will be supporting Ubisoft Connect. So, as they continue working on that, uh, and Watch Dogs Two and One, mm-hmm. uh, as well as a bunch of other games. But yeah, that stuff, I think you'll just have to launch them. They say it's over a thousand legacy rewards mm-hmm. uh, will be unlocked uh, starting as of this announcement on the twenty-first. So. Uh, you can do that on any of the platforms you have that has that stuff. Mm-hmm. And this stuff will be starting as of the launches for the Xbox Series X and S on November 10th. 
and PS5 is not until the 15th. Mm-hmm. Huh. All right, and I guess it'll also be coming to the games they put on Stadia, NVIDIA, GeForce Now, and mm-hmm. Amazon Luna later this year. So mm. They're finally getting this like cross-platform thing down in the way that should have been for a while now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that'll be uh, something good as far as Ubisoft games are concerned. Mm-hmm. Uh, another good update here. Uh, so people have noticed that there have been a number of updates for uh, Sony games on PS4 that mm. uh, seem to be setting up for the PS5's uh, launch here in a couple weeks, mm. uh, fixing up whatever bugs that might be uh, causing issues with their uh, PS5 playback. Uh, stuff like that. Uh, and people noticed that one came out for The Last of Us Remastered that mm-hmm. uh, also has the benefit of reducing load times by significant amounts on PS4. Mm-hmm. Uh, they mention here that the initial save from or load from a save mm-hmm. uh, that took about two minutes uh, now is something like 14 seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a big, big change. Uh, it mm-hmm. seems like they must have updated the game to maybe new SDK. Uh, something like that. So now, you know, if you're playing that game uh, now, it's uh, a much more uh, yeah quick experience. Yeah, the loading game, the loading times, both for the original PS3 release and this release, were they try your patience. I'm not gonna yeah. lie. They, uh, but yeah, this is definitely an improvement. Yeah, at least the one bonus for Naughty Dog games is that you just go through that one initial load and you don't have to worry about it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just kind of managed to hide that stuff pretty well, and so here, mm. you know, it uh, works out really well for uh, that game. So hopefully that uh, continues to be a thing, especially for PS4s. Devs get them ready for the PS5. Because mm-hmm. uh, you know what? It should hopefully be able to trickle down a bit. Mm-hmm. Especially after seeing the ridiculousness of Ghost of Tsushima's uh, load times, mm-hmm. which make no sense still. Mm. Uh, I guess it, it kind of goes both ways too. I mean, if if it if it makes the PS4 version that much faster, I mean, like, why even rush to a PS5? You know. Mm. Yeah, but PS5, you're probably not buying that to play The Last of Us Remastered. Mm-hmm. I assume so. Uh, mm. But yeah, that. Uh, but I assume that means that the, those load times are probably, you know, very quick on PS5. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the we also got a bit of weird news involving the PS5, uh, particularly its fan. Hmm. That uh, apparently the PS5 fan is controlled by the system's uh, APU, Accelerated Processing hmm. Unit, and its combined AMD CPU slash GPU chip for additional power. Uh, the performance seen at launch isn't the end-all, be-all status. It will continuously evolve by collecting data from games that will aim to optimize the fan itself and its interaction with the PS5 as a whole. Mm-hmm. So it seems like they're able to pull the data from how uh, the games make the system run, uh, temp-wise and all that, and are able to optimize how the fan is used uh, to keep it cool and hopefully improve performance over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is kind of a weird, uh, neat little trick that they've got built into this whole system. Mm. And it should hopefully mean that over time it should become 
uh, a very loud fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least not easily. Without other stuff going wrong, but seems like they've really thought a lot about the the cooling system in this uh, in this thing, uh, which would be fun to see how uh, people try and test it. I assume. Uh, yes. Yeah, speaking of things evolving, uh, Phil Spencer has uh, been talking about XCloud for a while now. Uh, yeah. Recently, uh, talking about like uh, the next kind of step for XCloud, which is potentially going to be stuff like TV sticks. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those on know, it's just like a USB stick that you plug in. It has like the the basic code it needs for uh, the client already on it, and it would load uh, that up onto your TV, and you mm-hmm. can just supposedly sync a controller to it and play xCloud games that way without need for a big box, uh, expensive box or anything like that. Mm. Uh, probably bundle it with uh, some amount of subscription uh, time or a controller or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of the way that uh, a lot of like Amazon Fire Sticks and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. uh, works these days. It seems like a neat way to do things. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I don't know how many USB uh, slots TVs have these days. Yeah. This kind of stuff. But this this might also just be a uh, HDMI stick. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that could be... So like HDMI slots are not uh, infinite either. Mm-hmm. Because you don't get too many of those. Uh, but yeah, that uh, seems like a neat little thing for the future of that. They also mentioned uh, potential for something like a Xbox Game Pass Platinum. Mm-hmm. That would essentially be like Game Pass mixed with uh, the all-access service, mm-hmm. uh, where you would get uh, Game Pass Ultimate and whatever the new hardware is uh, day one, mm-hmm. uh, sort of guaranteed through that. Or is it just having to go to the store and sign up for uh, all access and getting the hardware that way? Mm -hmm. Uh, Which seems neat. uh, Because I think Apple has something that's essentially like that. Mm -hmm. Where you pay them and you just insure yourself the ability to get the new phone without having to pay like the the lump sum Mm -hmm. for it. Yeah, it's really interesting how they plan on um, actually evolving the program. Because as we know, you know, um, Xbox Game Pass is like probably the value to have in gaming. And then you add it with these um, payment programs for the actual platform and stuff. And that really makes it um, even better. But, you know, as we know, like they, they, they can't be charging this the same price forever. So does, does that mean you upgrade it and take away some features? I wouldn't do that. Because, you know, when, when you, when you take when you take a feature away, that's why, that's why people get angry. But at the same time, you want to be able to add more of an incentive for people to pay more. So hopefully it all works out. Yeah. 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 Right. Uh, yeah. This next story is pretty simple. Uh, Kojima Productions is working on a new game. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. Uh, I rather I still really like Death Stranding. Uh, it's definitely divisive, and I understand why. Yeah. Uh, but I really loved it. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to see what he's going to come up with this time. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And they say they're. You know, just confirming a new project is in development and are looking to hire people to help them work on it mm-hmm. uh, for their Tokyo studio. 
Yep. And, you know, dropped the link in their tweets and said, all right, we're done. Mm-hmm. Don't know if it's going to be like a sequel to Death Stranding or uh, something new mm-hmm. uh, or whatever that is. But, uh, hey, that's going to be uh, fun to see what that is. Yeah. Uh, probably sometime, maybe late next year. Yeah. Uh, let's get to some more serious stories here. Uh, Twitch uh, decided to pull off their unveiling of these DMCA mm-hmm. uh, strikes, I guess, uh, probably the worst way possible, mm-hmm. by sending a vague email to uh, the various streamers that have gotten this and automatically deleting the videos from their uh, archives. Mm-hmm. You know, not being specific, like, what... Uh, was the issue like YouTube generally does this pretty well for the most part, mm-hmm. even if it seems really stupid, some of the ways that it happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, they uh, it seems like maybe the recording industry uh, is involved with this as they yeah. start to realize you know there's music on these streams mm-hmm. uh, and we're not getting paid for it. Oh my god, we don't want people to get paid for this music anyway, so we should get the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the uh, seems like a number of streamers have been kind of just furious the way this stuff is being handled. Uh, getting messages saying like, "We are writing to form you that your channel is subject to one or more of these DMC takedown notifications, and that the content identified has been deleted. We recognize that by deleting this content, we're not giving you the option to file a counter notification or seek a retraction from the rights holders. Mm-hmm. Consideration of this, we have processed these notifications." issuing a one-time warning to give you the chance to learn about copyright law and the tools available to manage the content on your channel. Mm-hmm. It's like a little workshop class, I guess, that happened earlier this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a weird way to handle it, and a lot of people are just basically like, uh, let's see here, uh, yeah, business streamer and industry insider Devin Nash said on Twitter, it is insane that Twitch informs partners that they deleted the content, mm-hmm. that there's more content in violation despite having no identification system to find out what it is. The solution to DMCA is for creators to delete their life's work. This is pure gross negligence. Uh, another Twitch partner mm-hmm. said, count me among those that received a DMCA strike today. Mm-hmm. Uh, sadly, the only safe answer seems to be delete all old content. People who scrubbed their VODs previous to this wave of strikes didn't avoid it. it the in-game music going forward is going to be a real issue. Help us twitch. Mm-hmm. They don't seem to really care for the most part because they're not... Don't have the systems built in to identify people like, hey, this video is particularly the issue because of this clip or this mm-hmm. bit. Like YouTube generally yeah. does a pretty good job of highlighting what is the supposedly offending content. You can file, you know, back to say, like, this person doesn't actually own the rights to this stuff, or this isn't what they're... This isn't actually objectionable sort of stuff, or just you know, have it auto auto mute the thing and just move on, whatever. Um, yeah, people are just kind of not happy with the way this uh, is being handled. And yeah, it seems like Twitch really needs to overhaul their whole system. Mm. Uh, and we also need we also need games to be coming in with uh, uh, stream modes. Hmm. There's some games that do it where they essentially 
you know, block stuff that they have licensed in the game that are probably not licensed to be streamed. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that, or you know, maybe license some more royalty-free type stuff that could be replacing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of stuff for uh, people to stream. Uh, some games are doing that kind of stuff, but not really enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know on a PS4, like when I've played um, Persona or or even Trails, even like if there's stuff that they think is particularly sensitive, they go ahead and block you from streaming it. Um, I know that doesn't work if you end up using a capture card, but if you're using the built-in stream method, it usually won't work. Yeah, that's the the fun thing is it's only for the in-game uh, or the the stuff on the PS4 mm-hmm. uh, to affect, and people just like you know stream it like ah here's where you, the thing that you can't see, which for like what? stuff like Persona Four it doesn't really make sense because it's it's gonna get out anyway because not everybody uses the built-in ps4 system yeah i mean it's really uh, tough for the dev to publish just to even have their have their own case here i mean like even nintendo gave up and uh, you know if they can't think of anything to stop you nobody will mm-hmm. yeah it's it's the thing that's you know publishers are just going to have to work together for like a unified set of tools for making this stuff manageable yeah. uh some way of you know Here's like options that work, you know, sort of the way that we have for accessibility settings where there's not really like, you know, guidelines for this to make it the same everywhere. But, you know, more often than not, most games have subtitle options uh, yeah, and some stuff, maybe some extra stuff like that, that, you know, are making the rounds to be more unified. The same needs to happen for... You know the the licensed content they have in the game that maybe is not reasonably able to be muted because uh, some games are just not able to be controlled that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, not every game has you know any game player that you can be like okay block these songs these other ones are probably okay mm-hmm. that kind of stuff or you know what if you're playing a game that's a rhythm game mm-hmm. how do you deal with any of that? Uh, that kind of stuff, and yeah, it's going to be a thing where you know if the publishers want you know streamers and YouTubers to promote their games, they're yeah. going to provide good tools uh, that help them out, versus just make them liable for uh, you know the recording industry to come in and be absolute jerks that they want to be, mm-hmm. and uh, to follow that up. There's this guy named Alex Hutchinson who, uh, when he was making these uh, tweets, his uh, his uh, Twitter account said, creative director at Google Stadia. <laughs> so people like thought like, oh, he's like a higher up at Google Stadia. <sighs> so people made the obvious jokes, but he basically started tweeting out uh, the other day, streamers worried about getting their content pulled because they use music they didn't pay for should be more worried by the fact that they're streaming games they didn't pay for as well. It's all gone as soon as publishers decide to enforce it. Uh, Next tweet is, the real truth is the streamers should be paying the developers and publishers of the games they stream. They should be buying a license like any real business and paying for the content they use. Uh, And then people started, you know, he got ratioed. Yep. Yep. and then followed up and said, amazing to me that people are upset at someone saying that the creators of 
content should be allowed to make some of the money from other people using their content for profit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Jason Schreier responded to this thing. I don't know, maybe you're getting flack because you're picking this particular battle in a world where C-suite executives make $30 million a year and devs don't get royalties. So they mm-hmm. never see any of that streaming money in the first place. Uh, which is not wrong. Like The execs would be the ones that would get this extra money. Mm-hmm. But publishers and developers have you know, essentially come to the point where they realize it's much better for us to provide these codes you know, and such to these content creators to promote mm-hmm. our games. Because uh, it helps us earn more money off the end. The back end as, you know, they convince, you know, thousands or hundreds of thousands of people to buy their games. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's not that many games where the the people uh, buying them and promoting them are the ones that, you know, push it into success. Like, there's not many games that are like Among Us. Or those mm-hmm. are games where people bought it, checked it out, and said like, "Hey, we should stream this. This is pretty good." And it finally hit big, you know, two years after launch. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the streamers are the ones that get paid usually to feature these games. You know, the first week or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially if they're you know the new battle royale, the new multiplayer game. You know, if they are you know. They're an Elder Scrolls streamer. They get, you know, probably first dibs on uh, the the new games. You know, the the new updates for Elder Scrolls Online, uh, that kind of stuff. This guy's just coming here, like making a point that technically it's true, mm-hmm. uh, but also games compared to music and you know, TV shows and movies and all that's is interactive. It's most of the time, it's what the the streamer brings to it. Their, you know, their ability to bring comedy to it, or uh, play it well, or bring interesting, you know, thoughts to it. Uh, mm. That kind of stuff that changes what the what the the product comes out as. You know, especially when it comes to stuff like you know the the Jackbox games. Well, that's all who the the group that you're watching play this game. Mm. Uh, that kind of stuff. So yeah, I, I get his point. I think he's being a dick about it. Mm-hmm. He doesn't. Re- he's not realizing that this battle was fought, you know, ten years ago, mm. and everybody came to the agreement. It's better for everybody if we don't sit here and try and fight people's ability to, you know, promote our games for us. Yeah, and a number of publishers hire those kinds of people to be their own community team to promote it for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, if not just contract them to, hey, for this first week, we want you to, you know, play our game on your streams, you know, or make some videos for us or, you know, make videos with us. Mm-hmm. You know, like Rooster Teeth has done a lot of that stuff with Fallout and all that. Uh, yeah, I think it's been a much better road that we've gone on where it kind of democratized the ability to stream stuff, make it easier, not less like, we need to pay us $10,000 for your right to stream, you know, Fortnite. Uh, <laughs> which is kind of the the best situation. And of course, this, uh, this tweet, you know, hitting big for its kind of uh, obnoxiousness. Uh, 
because people are like, hey, he's a creative director at Google Stadia. He's the higher up there. Uh, Google came out and said, uh, the recent tweets by Alex Hutchinson, creative director at the Montreal studio of Stadia Games and Entertainment, do not reflect those of Stadia YouTuber Google. Mm. Uh, and their head of YouTube gaming, Brian Watt, also tweeted, uh, we believe that publishers and creators have a wonderful symbiotic relationship that has allowed a thriving ecosystem to be created. One has mutually benefited everyone. YouTube is focused on creating value for creators, publishers, and users. All ships rise when we work together. So basically everybody came out to say, dude, shut up. <laughs> and if you uh, do not know, Alex Hutchinson, he is the creative director at Typhoon Studios, which got bought by Google, I think, last year or earlier this year. He used to work at Ubisoft. Uh, I don't know about any allegations or anything like that, but uh, he has said a lot of boneheaded stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. Things like suggesting he was the creative director on Assassin's Creed 3 mm-hmm. and suggested that the media has uh, uh, subtle racism mm-hmm. uh, because they are more critical of Western uh, games, uh, the stories of Western games compared to Japanese games, which is like, no. Mm-hmm. He'll have been pretty cre- uh, critical of you know like Final Fantasy VII story and all this kind of stuff from Japanese RPGs and such. Yeah. How ridiculous a lot of them were at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's also said that, uh, what was the other thing? Oh, yeah, when he was, this is another thing around Assassin's Creed 3, basically saying, like, yeah, we're like one of the last uh, AAA games. Mm-hmm. There's not much more money to be made out of this stuff, which is like, realizing, like, oh, like 10 years later, yeah, you probably way off on that. Mm-hmm. Maybe you shouldn't be uh, somebody that speaks on the industry as a whole. Mm-hmm. He doesn't seem to know too much about uh, the industry. Yeah. Yeah, so that was like the big social media thing. Mm-hmm. And he was shitting on uh, specific members of the media. Oh, yeah. Because I think Alex Navarro at Giant Bomb was like, hey, how's that Google Stadia thing going? And he's like, better than Giant Bomb. Mm-hmm. I was like, uh, from what I heard, Giant Bomb's increasing in subscribers month over month. Mm-hmm. Uh, who knows what Google Stadia is doing? Uh, yeah, let's move on to another story here that is uh, very much not great. Yeah. Uh, involving Xbox Brazil. Yeah. Uh, they. This is a branch of Microsoft, of Xbox team, mm-hmm. that's had problems in the past with some of their. Uh, community members mm-hmm. uh, that were kind of partnered with them that uh, displayed very shitty opinions on their streams and such all the time. Mm-hmm. It took uh, months, I think, uh, of campaigning to get Microsoft to realize maybe you don't want to associate yourself with racists in yeah. Brazil to get them to drop uh, some of these people. Mm-hmm. And so uh, this involves uh, a now former host, video host, uh, Isadora Brazil, Brazil, who is a host for Xbox Brazil, uh, doing, you know, community stuff, community videos and all that kind of stuff, saying that uh, she had severed ties with uh, Microsoft uh, involuntarily because she had been regularly harassed by members of the uh, local Xbox community in Brazil. Mm-hmm. Since being hired in early September, 
you know, including, you know, basic stuff like uh, she wasn't, let's see, I suffered harassment of all kinds from people saying that I wasn't worthy of my job to rape and death threats and aggression for exposing tense situations. Yeah. Uh, thanks to all these harassments, Microsoft decided it was best to sever ties with me as a host so I wouldn't be more exposed to situations like these. I respect the decision made by Microsoft. My love for them will be the same as always. Mm-hmm. Uh, and apparently these weren't necessarily decisions made just by Xbox Brazil, but by the global Xbox team. Mm-hmm. Sort of backed them up on this. To which this, uh, this whole situation has been kind of going around the internet, people not being happy that the, the victim is the one getting uh, the worst treatment here. Yeah. And uh, I believe IGN managed to get a hold of of them to talk about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, and essentially acknowledging that it happened, that the, the harassment uh, since last week, uh, but also kind of coming out and saying things like, uh, we made some changes to our original Xbox pro- programming strategy in Brazil, resulting in fewer channels. We thank mm-hmm. Isadora Brazil and the talented crew at the agency who helped produce the Xbox News show for the creativity and contributions moving forward. Xbox Wire Portal will be our single source for news and impactful content. The Xbox BR channel will continue to experiment with new ways to delight Brazilian gamers. Kind of sidestepping the whole thing. Yeah. The major issue that people have. And yeah, the, the direct statement they published on IGN. Uh, was we do not tolerate harassment or disrespectful behavior of any kind, and we took action to support Isadora when personal attacks against her were brought to our attention. Uh, last week's programming changes are unrelated. They are the direct result of our own ongoing effort to reach more players, more languages with real-time news and comprehensive information. Bill from our global news outlet, Xbox Wire. Also again, kind of saying, we let her go in an unrelated manner to the attacks she's gotten. Mm-hmm. Which seems coincidental at best. Yeah. Yeah, it's not the it's not a great feeling to have coming out of uh effectively something that is more of a global mm-hmm. uh global marketing for Microsoft and Xbox yeah. uh leading up to their new consoles. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Yeah. Just blech. It's uh it's just I mean, it's just another example of, like, how really toxic uh, the gaming community can be. And... Yeah. Especially towards women. Yep. It's... it's, And I guess in Brazil, it's particularly bad. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. um, Oof. I hate it. I hate it. You kind of want them to take a more forceful stance on this, mm-hmm. a more public stance. Yeah, like even going to the to the the point of Microsoft and especially the Xbox team mm-hmm. uh, on their Twitter should be like making public statements about supporting Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Because I don't believe they ever really made a specific tweet mm-hmm. with the hashtag. They like did a thing with you know hearts retweeting the the PlayStation statement on Black Lives mm-hmm. Matter, but not really doing the thing of their own because like when the mm-hmm. 
when that Black Black Lives Matter theme went up for the PS4 and they announced that on Twitter, a lot of people were basically like, oh, Xbox hasn't done doesn't do this shit. I'm going over there for next gen. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm pretty sure they all support Black Lives Matter. Just Xbox hasn't been as forceful and shoving in your face. Yeah. Sony and even Nintendo have. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you got to support that stuff. Yep. Even if you're yep. doing, you know, the hard work of, you know, hiring people of color to work on your various projects mm-hmm. and promoting that stuff and doing more content full of people of color, that kind of stuff. But you also got to shove it in these people's face and show them they're not welcome if they don't also support it and respect it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of those acts are just like beyond dumb. Actually, I, I remember um, back when Floyd was murdered, like uh, uh, when, when Sony delayed their uh, PS5 showcase, um, one, one fan responded, oh, psh, I am, I'm, I am going straight to Xbox because there's, there's no way they'd do this. And he, he went ahead and attacked Phil Spencer. And then Phil Spencer said, um, yeah, we would. And then they retweeted all of Sony's stuff. It was hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, that's that kind of stuff is not just a like one time thing. Mm-hmm. You got to keep doing it. Mm. Hey, let's uh, let's talk about another aspect of Microsoft that is uh, being accused of something else that's not great. Uh, Bethesda. Oh boy, here we go. Well, I guess they're not technically part of Microsoft just yet, but uh, mm-hmm. they're in the works. Uh, this is a lawsuit filed by. Uh, publisher Ragnarok Game against Bethesda, and I believe also uh, the f- original developer Human Head Studios of a game called Rune 2 mm-hmm. that launched last December uh, mm-hmm. 2019. And is uh, this whole suit is alleging that they, uh, the developers attempted to destroy the game by very mm-hmm. publicly abandoning it on launch day. It's a whole weird situation where they announced they were like abandoning the game they just launched, uh, and supposedly refusing to turn over the source code and assets to the publisher so another developer could take over. And uh, their uh, lawsuit was just for Human Head, but now has been amended to include uh, Zenimax Media and Bethesda Softworks, uh, alleging that they kind of colluded with Human Head. Mm-hmm. To have them shut themselves down, hire the entire team, and reassemble it in the new form of Roundhouse Studios, uh, which imp- their initial announcement implied the studio had reached out to Bethesda after the decision to close had been made, but the updated complaint says Bethesda was an active participant in the effort to torpedo Rune 2, another game called Oblivion Song, and had begun conspiring with Human Head in late summer 2019. Hmm. So this is like a whole wild thing because this is a game that came out was terrible, mm-hmm. uh, and then the devs like, "Yeah, we're done. We're out. We're not working on this game anymore." Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, they a lot of stuff here like uh, this is an act of utter bad faith and contractual breach of confidentiality requirements. Human Head secretly provided Bethesda and Zenimax with keys that permitted to play a confidential pre-release version of Rune Two. Mm-hmm. This enabled Bethesda and Cinemax to see for themselves the threat that Rune 2 posed to their hit franchise Skyrim slash Elder Scrolls. Plaintiffs were never informed of this betrayal, the lawsuit states. 
Uh, two weeks prior to the launch of Rune 2, ZMX secretly formed a new subsidiary, Roundhouse Studio LLC. Used that company to purchase all of Human Head's equipment, take over its leases. That equipment contained plaintiff's trade secrets, the source code, and materials for Rune 2 and Oblivion Song. In that mm-hmm. same time frame, in order to complete a de facto merger, ZeniMax arranged to have all employees dismissed from Human Head and hired by ZeniMax. Mm-hmm. Those are definitely some, uh, some allegations there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so that game launched, I'm not sure what specific date was, December, but ZeniMax took control of Human Head's employees and assets on November 4th, mm-hmm. after which it ordered them to halt development of Rune 2 and Oblivion Song, according to the complaint. Further alleges that Zenimek took project lead Christopher Reinhardt, Rune 2's creative heart and soul, out of action on launch day by sending him on a two-day business trip to Texas. And that Bethesda and Zenimax were the actual authors of the press release announcing the closure of Human Head the day after Rune 2 came out. The lawsuit against Bethesda and Zenimax argues that the companies were eager to sink Rune 2 because of the threat it posed to the Elder Scrolls series. Mm. One early review of Rune's, Rune 2 described it as a Skyrim on st- steroids. Mm-hmm. Suit says the hit video game Skyrim is part of Bethesda's Elder Scroll franchise. It was developed and published by Bethesda and its affiliates. This review signaled to Bethesda and Zenimax that one of their big cat biggest cash cows was under threat. So mm-hmm. yeah. The the lawsuit also indicates that Human Head was in bio talks with their companies prior to its acquisition by Zenimax. Mm-hmm. When a Ragnarok game uh Ragnarok games involved in the process would have allowed it to continue working on Rune 2. ZeniMax was the only prospect, uh, prospective acquisition partner required secrecy and would not permit further development work on Rune 2 or Oblivion Song. Mm-hmm. Uh, six compensatory damages and no less than $100 million, plus restitution for development costs, punitive damages, attorney's fees, and other penalties. A representative for Bethesda declined to comment. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's, uh, that's certainly a, a thing. And I guess... Uh, this publisher has a new studio working on this game called Studio 369 on Rune mm-hmm. 2. Uh, a like new version called Rune 2 Decapitation Edition. Mm. With updated combat system, new abilities, dungeons, progression, and NPCs. That is out in a couple weeks here, November 13th. Mm-hmm. So that's a whole hell of a thing that is going on. Yeah. Um, God, that is just... That, that is... I really don't know what to think. <laughs> I honestly don't. Um, I mean, Bethesda yeah. has gotten up with a lot of fuckery over the last few years, so I certainly would not put it past them to, you know, try something devious like that. But I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what to expect out of this because uh, we know Bethesda has been very much involved with. Uh, kind of threatening games that have names even somewhat similar to theirs. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if they're completely different genres. And, you know, uh, level of, you know, work that's put into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, feeling like they can't, you know, put the similar names in there. That, uh, that it wouldn't be too far off for them to... Because tr- they tried to buy Human Head uh, a number of times. Mm-hmm. They were trying to work on uh, Prey 2 at a certain point. Mm-hmm. And the devs, uh, the version they came up with was apparently not to Bethesda's liking. Mm-hmm. So they were willing to fund it if they would also acquire Human Head. And mm-hmm. of course they denied it because they 
don't want to deal with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why the acquisition was kind of weird. But this also adds just a whole weird wrinkle to it. It's just kind of wild. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's actually true, but if it is, it's uh, very outstanding in how wild this is. Yeah. And God, it's fucking hell, man. Yeah. The part that makes it seem like a joke is them trying to convince people that, oh, yeah, they were so threatened to their mm-hmm. Elder Scrolls fortune. Mm-hmm. That this random indie game, uh, or mm-hmm. random game that is supposedly somewhat influenced by Skyrim, mm-hmm. is going to be the thing that takes it down. Uh, that's a part that kind of seems like, uh, you know, them pr- trying to push their luck a little bit too much. Mm-hmm. Like, you guys got to tone this down a little bit. Yeah. Because you're going a little bit overboard. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a, a weird early review that's caused Bethesda to feel threatened. Mm. Also, what if they were? Mm-hmm. If this goes on long enough, does it bleed into Microsoft? Whenever they do uh, assume ownership, full ownership of everything. So yeah, that's uh, that's your weird story of the week. Mm-hmm. Hey, let's talk about something that was pretty cool. Uh, AOC uh, one of the most popular people in federal government right now, mm-hmm. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, mm-hmm. uh, House Rep uh, in New York, decided to uh, stream on Twitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, stream with some of the biggest names on Twitch, uh, as well as her colleague, Elon Omar. Yep. Uh, and they played Among Us. Mm-hmm. Just further... <laughs> pointing out how absurd this game's rise has been yeah, uh, for a game that nobody knew about to becoming one of the biggest in the world, so much so that uh, a couple of people in the, the U.S. Congress uh, were streaming it. Yeah. Uh, absurdly, the, the first imposter uh, was AOC. Yeah. And she's not a stranger to games. She talks about playing League of Legends all the time. Yeah. Uh, talks about her rankings, mm-hmm. trying to get uh, higher rankings and all that kind of stuff. Yep. But she knows her shit. Oh, yeah. Uh, she called into, what, H-Bomber Guys, Donkey Kong 64 stream mm-hmm. for a bit to talk uh, about the N64 and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there's there's a bunch of clips. Uh, I don't know. No, they got, they got some clips of the, the whole thing, like three and a half hours. Mm-hmm. Of playing this, uh, there's a good bit where uh, she is uh, potentially getting voted out, and they ask uh, Elon Omar about what she's going to do, and she backed AOC. Mm-hmm. Uh, to which AOC calls her ride or die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it seemed like a very fun time. Uh, uh, yeah. She was doing this kind of to help promote uh, awareness for voting and all that. Because mm-hmm. uh, you might not have noticed it. Uh, the federal government's full of old people mm-hmm. that don't really know much about games. So AOC being one of the youngest in there and being very much a big-time uh, gamer mm-hmm. ruffles a lot of people's uh, feathers. Yep. Because how dare she be a woman in Congress, mm-hmm. uh, a woman that plays games, and a woman that's uh, knowledgeable about games in yep. Congress. 
not to mention the person of color. So yeah, mm-hmm. so, yeah. so it, it was really cool seeing AOC utilize the platform the way she did. Like as you mentioned, she knows her shit. And you know the other the other cool thing is you know the game itself. Like Among Us is all about like um, tracking liars. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's funny seeing seeing a, a politician trying to get her way out of the, out of the sticky situation. And oh, what I really appreciate is it really shows them in the, in the more casual and real light. You know, like people are saying, yeah. oh, politicians are, are natural born liars and stuff like that. And you could see like she was horrible at it. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it was nice to see. Um, there's one bad part of this whole thing mm-hmm. uh, that's pretty soon afterwards uh, a hacker managed to infest the game with bots mm-hmm. that uh, generally infested the chat with uh, links to the hackers YouTube and Discord channels and their site and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. uh, which offers cheats for various games out there uh, that went by the name of Eris Loris. Mm-hmm. Uh, also advertised uh, Trump 2020, just in yeah, case you need another color person. Um, yep. Yeah, so the devs had to uh, announce that they were, quote, super duper aware of the hacking problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, we pushed out an emergency server update to mitigate this. Uh, said, you know, please play private games or with people that you trust. Uh, bear with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, hour later, the programmer and business lead tweeted that he was rolling out the update and explained why it had taken some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason I didn't roll this update out sooner is that I was afraid of false positives. Told them I'd see the game think you're hacking when you're not. I've done my best to find this kind of bug, but my hand is forced this time. And I believe they're working on essentially an account system uh, for it. Uh, they've announced that they were working on this for the past uh, like month or so. Yep. Uh, so that people have like a consistent account to use between the PC and mobile versions, and all that should limit the ability for hackers and such to get uh, involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Kotaka here managed to get a hold of the uh, the hacker themselves. Uh-huh. Uh It was very much had the kind of attitude you would expect. Yep. Uh, they said, I was curious to see what would happen, and personally I found it funny. The anger and yeah. hatred is part that makes it funny. If you care about a game and are willing to go and spam dislike some random dude on the internet because you can't play it for three minutes, it's stupid. Yeah. Uh, he admitted he's a Trump supporter, explains uh-huh. the last portion portion of his message. Uh, yeah, he uh, went on to say he plays Among Us with friends and thinks it's fun, but also he feels no remorse for ca- causing trouble for the studio behind a game he likes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Among Us may be a small developer team, but it's not my fault. But that's not my fault. The game is at a scale bigger than most AAA games. Mm-hmm. There is nothing stopping them from getting more developers. So the it's three people reasoning means nothing to me. Yeah, so he's just a piece of shit. Yeah. It's the it's everybody else's fault but mine. Mm-hmm. Even though he did it. No more. Yeah, he did yeah. it. He did it for the lulls. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that uh, has a good comment here. I ask conservatives, the folks who champion personal responsibility until that responsibility is don't be a prick. It's yeah. everybody else's fault for being annoyed or upset at their behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that seems to be a non-issue at this point. But uh, yeah, I wanted to end this uh, this podcast with a little bit of uh, 
remembrances, the uh, tomorrow is the 20th anniversary of the PS2's launch here in North America. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did a stream earlier today playing a bunch of games. Uh, enjoyed that a lot. Uh, archive should be going up tomorrow, and I'll be mm-hmm. putting it up on the, the site for people that want to check it out. Uh, played a bunch of stuff on there. Uh, played some of the weird games like Katamari, Damacy, uh, Chulip, and uh, Eco. Uh, some yep. of the stuff that's very much indicative, like the weird part of Japan. Yeah. Uh, played some stuff that, uh, that is like some of the more iconic stuff on the system. I played some Ratchet & Clank. Uh, I think it was Up Your Arsenal, the third game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sly 3, and I played Jack and Daxter. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are like the three big platformer uh, franchises they had, and uh, was I played Dark Cloud, which was a very cool year one game. Mm-hmm. Uh, also mentioned like the the first year of the PlayStation Two is better than any other platform has ever had. Yeah, it is not just the quality of the games, but the ridiculous amount of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's pretty well split between Japanese and Western studios too. Yep. Uh, is a weird confluence of developers kind of getting their stuff out mm-hmm. uh, in a way that will never happen again. Yeah. Um, you saw like the PS4's first year is like fairly sparse as far as like Sony stuff is concerned. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even third parties really weren't ready to get stuff out there in 2014. Mm-hmm. Uh, the success of those platforms took a lot of publishers by surprise. Yeah. Um, even PS3 and Xbox 360 were the same. The Wii was also the same. It uh, doesn't mean there were, weren't good games in a number of them, but the PS2 mm-hmm. was on a whole level. Uh, yeah, I played some Metal Gear Solid 2. played GTA 3. Like I mentioned, GTA 3, as much as it was an open world game, was also a party game. Mm-hmm. It was a game you had friends over, and you're like, all right, let's... It'll turn on all the weapons. Yeah. Uh, and see how long you can last just blowing up people and you know, you get the tank and the rock and uh shooting the, the cannon to behind you so you could go faster and faster. Yeah. That was like the first game in like a long time that had become a like legit cultural phenomenon. Yeah. Like people were talking about it on like talk shows and for the fact that it is like one of those games that became such like a that was itself sort of a moral panic, the fact that so many like major like celebrities and stuff were playing it gave it a veneer of uh respectability that ultimately went a long way in kind of uh destroying the whole sort of villainous mystique that video games had up to that point. Um, yeah, the PS2 was the the platform that kind of brought uh, gaming into the mainstream. Mm-hmm. Uh, sold over 150 million consoles worldwide. It was a huge success, the best selling console that's ever happened. Mm-hmm. May ever happen again? I don't know, but uh, the the library is huge. Mm-hmm. So many games in almost every genre. Yep, uh, you could see in playing a lot of these games that, oh yeah, this is where like Sony as a publisher of games kind of found their footing mm-hmm. of the sort of games they liked, uh, the sort of studios they liked to work with. 
uh, the sort of stuff they like to put out uh, and the way that kind of games evolved from what they were on the PS1 uh, and N64 and all that, where, uh, you know, there are a lot of big games there, but uh, they hadn't quite figured out the 3D thing and how to use that effectively and how to control well. And that's where the DualShock 2 came in and sort of set a standard that everybody else followed with two sticks, you know, four mm-hmm. shoulder buttons, you know, four face buttons, the D-pad and all that. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's uh, what uh, GameCube and Xbox used. Mm-hmm. And most every platform since then, the Wii is a weird outlier. Yeah. So just trying to be weird uh, for their own sake. But yeah, the PS2 is kind of where modern gaming came from. Mm-hmm. Uh, they matured there because mature games, while there were some that, you know, got into the mainstream as far as like notoriety with like uh, mostly Rockstar stuff, you know, the yeah. GTA games and State of Emergency and Bully and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, games as a whole could mature so that, you know, violence wasn't necessarily the thing that got everybody outraged. Yeah. Uh, it could um, be the story. Yeah. Also, the PS2 is the era when you actually started seeing, like, nudity in mainstream M-rated games. Famously yeah. with uh, the first God of War. Yeah. Um, where it was just, it's a hoy. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, there was even a a quick sex, quick time event. You, obviously, it didn't show it actually happening, but it's pretty clear what's happening. Um, yeah. And that was a game where you're literally ripping people apart. Mm-hmm. Community didn't cause as much of an outrage as some other stuff. Yeah, for some weird reason, it's like, you know, because that was, let's, because you were mentioning GTA, GTA San Andreas also came out around that time as well. And that game infamously had the hot coffee controversy. Yep. Um, Which was uh, a weird controversy because it, it was not something anybody could access in the game. No, it was, it was you a, literally had to go into the code and drag it out. Yeah, with some external device. Mm-hmm. So no normal person could actually access it. Mm. Uh, and yeah, there was a, there was a platform where uh, there were weird games before, but I think it was where weird became a thing that really was appealing to people mm-hmm. in the mainstream. You know, Katamari Damacy came out was a $20 game at launch, but wasn't yeah. shit like you would expect other $20 games to be. No, and it was, a, it was, it was a game that was a success by word of mouth because of just how yeah. fucking weird it was. It just, it just came out. Nobody knew what to expect. Mm-hmm. And, then I, and you'd see it on like forums and such. People like, hey, there's this weird $20 game at GameStop that uh, is really fucking awesome. Uh, it's called Katamari Damacy. It's like this weird Japanese thing. Yeah, uh, and it like sold out basically every copy that was out there because they didn't mm-hmm. print too much. No, that was uh, that was how a lot of smaller games did. Is like they came out and printed in small runs. You know, Atlas did that a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, this that that game led to you know Tulip getting a release. Uh, Eco was like the big one with uh, in two thousand one started holding like this is like nothing else on the platform. Yeah, uh, that game was the precursor to Shadow of the Colossus. And um, the last uh, Guardian and just general, mm-hmm. like, more 
uh, atmospheric and story focused games. Yeah. Um, you also mentioned Atlas. Uh, don't forget, PS2 is where we also got uh, Persona 3 and 4. Yeah, where they finally got that, that uh, franchise mm-hmm. uh, over after putting out the first one on the PS1. With a really awful, awful, awful localization. Yeah, where they even changed characters and their mm-hmm. races and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. PS2 was where localization started becoming more standardized. People uh, and publishers weren't afraid of localizing the game as is. Mm-hmm. Not having to make huge changes yeah. to it, which is where Atlas kind of came into their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially with the, the PSP and the DS uh, as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's... And Persona 4 was like a post-PS3 launch game. Mm-hmm. Same with God of War 2. And it's like, uh, that was a system where people were willing to uh, support the systems long after the next one came out. Uh, maybe not too much longer, but uh, mm-hmm. it had a live uh, well after most other platforms typically stopped. Mm-hmm. And famously, like the Xbox just ended its release of games right up to about the launch of the 360. Mm. Uh, but you had FIFA still releasing on that thing till like 2012 or something like that. Pretty late. Uh, yeah, that, that system's basically the precursor to what you know is gaming now. Uh, you started getting online there with... Uh, the adapter is a very modular system uh, mm-hmm. with like the hard drive that you put in to play Final Fantasy XI uh, and the network adapter uh, that you use to play for all your online stuff. And people obviously figured out how to hack that so that you could just rip your games to it mm-hmm. uh, and just run them off the disk drive. Uh, yeah, the, the PS2 is pretty much a huge landmark for this gaming industry. Mm-hmm. That stream was a lot of fun, still. Yeah. Uh, those games still hold up, for the most part. Yeah. Uh, but, we, and, of course, we got we to talk about, like, the first party. Um, yeah, that's where Sony kind of came into their own. Yeah. As uh, a publisher, because the PS1 was just kind of them throwing a lot of stuff out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did a lot of sports stuff, racing. They tried, like, hey, let's make our own JRPG. Let's try everything. Yeah. You know, they had the Crash Bandicoot Spyro games, which technically weren't theirs. They partnered uh, with Universal. Uh, yeah. They did those and, with uh, Insomniac and Naughty Dog. Um, yeah. And kind of got to a point where they finished out the the contracts for like the first three games on each of those mm-hmm. and were able to trade the IPs essentially for uh, the release of Insomniac and Naughty Dog to work on other stuff. Yeah. Uh, which finally worked out for uh, the eventual owners, uh, mm-hmm. Activision, as they realized, hey, people like those original games, let's uh, do those properly uh, in a remake, and maybe we'll have a future for those games. Mm-hmm. That's uh, where that is. But yeah, like uh, Donnie Dog went on to work Jack and Daxter, mm-hmm. uh, which is a wildly impressive game still. Oh, yeah. It is essentially open world. Mm-hmm. And like like we mentioned with uh, Last of Us Remastered, like there's no loading in the game. Nope. You don't go through a hub uh, system of like jumping into you know paintings, but then load into a stage. You just 
uh, go through these uh, clearly uh, linear areas that mm -hmm. traverse to the next station, the, the next area. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's a gameplay section. Yep. Uh, and that was a 2001 game. Uh, and on the, the remaster they did on PS3, it's under a gig. Mm -hmm. Which is impressive for uh, a lot of those games being like a few gigs usually. Yep. Uh, and yeah, like the, the PS1 was a very popular JRPG system, but the PS2 was on a next level on that. So they got most everything. Mm -hmm. uh, Dragon Quest, Final Fantasy, Persona, uh, Grandia. Uh, not really Tales at that point. That kind of went to GameCube for Symphonia. Mm -hmm. That was also a weird era for uh, Tales, where they didn't really release as much as they do now. No, no, it's true. Um, that was like every few years, maybe there was one. It didn't quite yeah. hit yeah. the peak. Yeah, Although they did have a couple of uh, really good Tales games that came out on... Uh... I think uh, Tales of the Abyss was PS2, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it wasn't, I mean, it, it wasn't as good as what, what we have now or Symphonia, but, you know, it was still something from Namco. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, of course, uh, yeah, you mentioned the JRPGs. You know, that's, uh, the, that's the system Final Fantasy X came out on. And, yeah. Uh, like Final Fantasy X, Metal Gear Solid 2, Jack and Daxter... Eco, Don't Make Cry, mm -hmm. all came out within a couple months of each other in GTA 3. Mm -hmm. It's like, one of those a year would be amazing, much less all of those in the same yeah. holiday season on uh, the platform. Final Fantasy X is mostly remembered because it was a, gra it was a graphical uh, leap as far as games at that era were concerned. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously, if you look at it now, there is a bunch of things in it that are pretty cringy. But yeah, you know that, that when that game came out, it astonished everyone who played it. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Even still, like you know, you you can say what you want about the the cast of characters, but in my opinion, like Final Fantasy X was still the very last real FF game to me. Like you mm -hmm. know, like, twelve, thirteen, fifteen. They, they don't compare. Yeah. And I know that game. I know that game because uh, the lead character, Titus, uh, is voiced by the same uh, voice actor as Ratchet and Clank's voice actor. Yep. So I <laughs> very much hear Ratchet and Clank when I'm playing that game. I'm like, well, this is, a, this is a very weird thing. Mm. Uh, but yeah, this was a, a system where JRPGs. Our big thing, you know, Kingdom Hearts was where. Yep. Big to say that. Yep. Kingdom Hearts, the very first Kingdom Hearts came out on this PS2. This is where Square Enix went full Square Enix and decided to do a bunch of spinoffs. Oh yeah. Uh, Final Fantasy X-2 and the the suite of Final Fantasy VII games, mm -hmm. most of which didn't do well at all. Nope. Because realized, oh, they just like the original game. Yeah. They don't really care for. You know, different characters having their own thing. Except for the PSP game. That's the one that was most successful because it was most similar to the original game. Yep. Um, and we got Dragon Quest Eight. Yeah, we still got Dragon Quest Eight and uh, Star Ocean till the end of time. Both of them were amazing RPGs back then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then the Xenosaga games back when Monolith Soft wasn't uh, Nintendo's. Yeah. It was yeah. Uh, the Xenosaga games are... 
probably to me what they represent is the fact that those games get really cerebral when it comes to the storytelling. They're they're really hard too. Yeah, and like the 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 writing is very jargon heavy, and it's like very very complicated science fiction. And uh, honestly, I really wish that they could make some kind of deal with Nintendo so they can re-release those games. Yeah. Because I'd really love a chance to play them again. Yeah, and the the thing that's striking about the the PS2's library is just kind of how rich it is for games that still hold up, mm-hmm. uh, and games that still could be released today and still have good value, uh, and things like that. Because like every publisher, major publisher, is on the PS2 putting out generally killer stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of them are. You look at like Shadow of the Colossus, which just got their Blue Point remake, and that remake was was great. It definitely mm-hmm. did justice. But when I look back at the PS2, I, like I think you were alluding to it, Chris. Like a lot of what the PS2 was really known for mm-hmm. is pretty much like what makes the foundation of gaming now. Because Sony was still trying to find their footing. Like a lot of the best games on the on the platform, you know, Final Fantasy, Kingdom Hearts, whatever JRPG, and then you have like a whole bunch of fighters. None of them are actually Sony Sony property. They're just a bunch of, a bunch of partners. Yeah, though two of the the big ones were Sony games, uh, GTA Three, not GTA mm-hmm. Three, Grand Turismo Three and Four. Yeah, uh, which followed after Grand Turismo One and Two took over the PS One mm-hmm. by storm, which probably made zero sense because nobody ever thought like, oh, let's make realistic racing games that you know try to be as realistic as a PS One can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that would be a thing that would. Uh, take off. Yeah. Especially from a studio who their first game was uh, Motor Tune Grand Prix, like a Mario Kart style game. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, that's, we should have those people make games with real cars in them and <laughs> to worry about washing the cars and taking them to get their oil changed and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, especially because GTA 3 was supposed to be a launch title for the PS2. Uh, it was called Grand Turismo 2000. I had it pre ordered. Mm-hmm. And of course, it never came out in that form. Nope. Uh, but it got pushed to the following summer and became Grand Turismo 3 A-Spec and sold ridiculously well. Because the, the the spring for the PS2 uh, was not particularly great. There was still good stuff, but just not not a ton. It was like the summer is where it started kicking off again mm-hmm. uh, for releases going into the fall. And that game, well, I was like, holy shit, look what this... Uh, stereo system can do. <laughs> uh, and they bought Naughty Dog before Jack and Dexter came out, and that did really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, God of War did really well. One and two, the Ratchet and Clank games, Sly Cooper, uh, all those did well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they tried things with like The Getaway, which is very much a game that uh, was a sign of what Sony would do in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just didn't quite work super well. Mm-hmm. It was very much a cinematic game where, like, to you know, to heal up your character who gets, uh, you know, you can see the bullets in their body. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just, you know, go into cover against a wall. Mm. You know, which sounds uh, similar to what you know every third-person shooter is these days, and first-person shooter. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's it's a system that's. Uh, brought gaming into the mainstream and made a lot of 
uh, excellent games available to people for whatever they wanted. Wanted sports games, all of them were there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you wanted racing games, they were there. You wanted platformers, there you go. You wanted uh, RPGs, yep. Open world games, yep. We got them out the ass. <laughs> yep. This generation also best Guitar Hero, so it wasn't much just a fairy one. Yep. Mm-hmm. That was a very weird thing. Like, oh, you gotta play a guitar mm-hmm. on this thing. Uh, it was more expensive than the usual game. I think it was like seventy bucks for the game and the guitar. Mm-hmm. And then Guitar Hero yeah. Two. Talked a bunch Rock about Kenamari Damasi. About Guitar Man. That was that was fucking crazy too. Yeah, that was one of those mm-hmm. games that uh, sold out pretty quickly. So the the copies out there were big money. Uh, if you got them off of eBay or GameStop or whatever. Is there where, yeah, there were uh, multiple places to get used games. Mm-hmm. Uh, nationwide retailers. And then uh, I forget what the one was that wasn't Blockbuster or GameStop, but yeah, it was like Rhino or something. Uh, but they were a number of places you get used games. And uh, yeah, it's, this was a generation where kind of everything uh, peaked big time mm-hmm. on that kind of stuff. Yep. Then we got into the next gen where, hey, you could download these games. Mm-hmm. Why would you go out and buy them? Uh, especially because you got uh, opportunities for that weird stuff to become more readily available. Mm-hmm. You know, so you wouldn't have to necessarily go find copies of, you know, Katamari Damacy or Tulip or Guitar Man or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of stuff would be available digitally. So you could get it and enjoy not having to pay, you know, twice the price or whatever it was at. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's kind of a, a big anniversary here that happens tomorrow on the 26th. Mm-hmm. Uh, the PlayStation 2 hits 20 years old, which is, uh, that was a long time ago. Oh, yeah. Hey, the PS5 is here in a couple weeks. Yep. Time has flown. Bye, and we are old. Yeah, yeah. The darkness is closing in fast, folks. All right, so we should end this now while we can. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you to Brandon Danreb for joining us this week. We've got, geez, like three weeks until the new consoles are here. Mm-hmm. I've got two weeks, actually. Two more shows, and then that is uh, new console week. Mm-hmm. That second show. Uh, I got stuff coming in this week. I got to start looking at uh, looking out for emails of shipping notices. Yeah, for that stuff. You got to start assigning content for those who can have a launch console. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'll see All what right. we can actually stream on day one. Yeah, that'll be fun to do. Cause I'll be mm-hmm. off, so hopefully we'll be able to stream something. Mm-hmm. Maybe setting up, but uh, I should at least have a hard drive full of PS4 games I can. <laughs> uh, show off like load times. Just like I'll oh, just start these and close them over and over again. <laughs> See how this goes? Yeah, I'll pull out Defense Grid, the one yeah. metric that Phil and I will know what's going on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God, I imagine nobody on the internet has seen how fast uh, Xbox Series X can load Defense Grid. Yeah, there's only two people here in the entire world that care about that. Yeah. And that's us too, and I don't have one, so. And four were bought by Phil. Yeah. Yeah, that is uh, this week's show. We'll be back next week. 
uh, with another load of uh, interesting gaming news. Hopefully we oh, learn yeah. a lot more about these new systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially the PS5, now that uh, people are going to be able to poke and prod at it. Yeah. Uh, after getting their nice uh, PS5 wrapping paper mm-hmm. that apparently was inside of the box. Yeah. I saw people like, oh, I got some uh, holiday gift wrap here. <laughs> That's going to trick people into thinking, oh, they got me a PS5. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, hey, trolling coming this holiday season. Yep. Yeah, thank you everybody for tuning in and listening to us. We're on all the podcast platforms. I don't know how you're listening to this if you're not subscribed, but hey, good luck with that. Yeah. If you somehow listen to this entire episode until this point, uh, go subscribe. I don't know what yeah. you're doing. Uh, don't be that weird person just listens to podcasts mm-hmm. on the, the website or whatever. Subscribe, mm-hmm. and then you'll get your uh, podcast delivered directly to your phone or whatever <laughs> podcast device you have. Yeah. Make it easy for yourself. It's 2020. Seriously, and if, people. And if you work for Sony or Xbox PR, reply to your emails. Yeah. Very <laughs> interested. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everybody. Have a good one.